Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the book of Ephesians. And now, Pastor Bird. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, please. Father, as we approach your word and our continued study of Ephesians, I just pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to your truth. I pray, Lord, that you would mold us and shape us through your sanctifying spirit and that we might live to the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, I have really been looking forward to our message this morning because this is where it really starts getting good in Ephesians. And I'm going to read Ephesians 3 through 6. However, if you recall, we ended at verse 3 last time. And so verse 4 is our focal passage. So Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 6, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. I remember as a young preacher, I was advised by another pastor to just stay away from any topic regarding predestination or election. He said, it's too controversial. You'll lose some people. That was his premise. And of course, for all of those of you who know me, you recognize I really don't listen very well. And I will make this statement that the doctrine of predestination should not be avoided. It should be embraced. And it should be embraced because in the doctrine of predestination, in election, you see the true richness in God's mercy. And I think one of the issues that the church has in our modern time is the fact that we don't embrace this doctrine. It says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, if you couple that with verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Why do we have the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places? If you look at 3 and 4 together, we have those spiritual blessings because He chose us. Because He chose us. We did not choose Him. He chose us. And this idea of God choosing us, this this spiritual and scriptural truth, has been a point of controversy for centuries. It's one of my absolute favorite 
topics. And I could go on and on about it. And in fact, I could spend countless Sundays going through the timeline of church history and pointing out why this has been controversial in the two opposing camps. Basically, who chooses? You can put it with the label of Calvinism and Arminianism. We could do that, but that's not what I'm going to do. What I want to do this morning is, first of all, I want us to look at, from a biblical perspective, the state of man before Christ. The state of man before Christ. And we have a number of verses that we're going to do in a brief survey. And the first one of those is Psalm 51.5, which is a Psalm of David. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. In other words, two sinners make a sinner, right? Two sinners make a sinner. We are born sinners. We are born into sin. And in fact, let me put it from a familial perspective. Did you have to teach your children how to be bad? Now they got that all on their own, right? Because they're born into sin. Sinners procreate sinners. We're born into sin. Romans 3, 9. In Paul's address to the Romans, in verse 9 he said both Jews and Greeks are under sin. They're all under sin. And then he goes on in a very familiar passage. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They've all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the state of man. Paul is outlining the state of man without Christ in Romans chapter 3. In Isaiah 59 verses 8 and 9, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. John wrote in John chapter 3, verse 19, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should become exposed. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And finally, in Romans 8, 7, it says that the carnal mind is enmity against God, 
for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, after that brief survey of the Bible, from a biblical perspective, I think that you would agree that it is impossible for the natural man to choose God. The Bible says we're at enmity with God. In other words, the natural man looked at God as his enemy, as his enemy. And so I've just proved from a scriptural perspective that man, from a humanistic standpoint, it is impossible for man to choose God. But let's discuss this from a personal perspective. Knowing yourself. Knowing yourself. Would you have chosen God over sin? Would you have chosen God over sin? And I think if we were all honest with ourselves, we would have to recognize that there's absolutely nothing in our life that would give us merit, standing, or righteousness before a holy and righteous God. Just as Paul wrote in Romans 3, there is none that are righteous No, not one. We wouldn't choose. And if you're having trouble with that, or if you take this premise of, well, I accepted Christ at such a young age. And I remember I accepted Christ at a young age. And I would remember as a kid in youth group, we'd go to youth evangelism conference But back in the day, they would bring up some celebrity that had just accepted Christ to give his testimony. And you'd have these people that stand up that would come to know Christ and they would document their past. And they would have done some really bad things. And through the power of Christ, they were saved. They were brought out of darkness into light and I remember being in junior high and high school, I would sit there and think, well, gee, I don't really have much of a testimony. I've done some bad things, but, you know, nothing like these testimonies. And so you may, in posing that question, would you choose Christ? You might say, well, I really didn't do anything that bad before Christ. Let me put a different twist on this for those that might think such a thing. Or if it's been so long, Like in my case, it's been so long since Christ saved me that sometimes we can kind of get callous to the greatness of the mercy of Christ. But let me pose it in this way. Maybe not looking at that one-time event, but let's talk about our daily walk right now. That battle that you face in your daily walk. It reminds me of Paul as he wrote Romans 7. And let me remind you, at the time that Paul penned Romans 7, 
He was an older man. He wasn't a new convert, and he's writing this in the present tense. But when you talk about Paul and his daily walk here in Romans 7.21, he says, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. A wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Paul is saying as an older man that he is still dealing with sin in his life. So when you look at your daily walk, And you ask yourself that question, would I have chosen God over sin? I think that we would all agree that that answer is no. It's no. It reminds me of that great hymn. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. The natural man does not choose God. God chooses the natural man because the natural man is at enmity with God. That's why in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, Paul says, I affirm by then the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. I die daily. From a biblical perspective, and from a personal perspective, I think that we would all have to come to the honest conclusion, taking an inventory of our soul, that we are absolutely incapable of choosing God at salvation. Now, this leads to a quandary. If the natural man can't choose a holy and righteous God. And if God judges all mankind from all of history, that leaves us with only one option. God chooses us. And if you think about it, and this is going to be a theme through Ephesians, you're going to hear about this a lot. But it's so clearly written. It's so clearly written that God chooses us. We just read it. God chooses us. He chose us before the foundation of the world. In other words, there's nothing in my life that had any merit, any form of righteousness. It was before I was born. It was before you were born that God in his mercy chose us says that he chose us before the foundation of the world. Now, I want to read a couple of comments from Honer's commentary on Ephesians. Because it's going to make a lot of sense as we work through Ephesians 1 in our passage here. Because people don't realize, if you just skim over what we're studying... 
And in fact, it's, that's the temptation, right? And especially if you've read Ephesians a lot, you just kind of skim over this. But there's a lot of moving parts going on here, and especially doctrinally. And so I want to read one comment that Honer wrote in his commentary regarding the spiritual benefits. Spiritual benefits in the heavenly places, right? That's what we're talking about in three. So we're looking at three and four together. And this is important. The spiritual benefits are the election of the Father, the redemption of the Son, and the seal of the Holy Spirit. The election of the Father, the redemption of the Son, and the seal of the Holy Spirit. That's the work of the Trinity. That's the work of the Trinity for you and for me and for everyone else who has come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We were elected by the Father. We were redeemed by the Son. And we are sealed. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And in fact, I'm getting ahead of myself and I can't wait till we get here. We've got about three more verses. So, you know, maybe in a couple of months. But, uh, but it says in the Christian Standard Bible, in that translation, that the Holy Spirit was given to us as a deposit. As a deposit. But there, as we look at our focal passage, you have the Trinity at work. Now, I'm going to use in that regard a group of verses that Martin Lloyd-Jones preached on when he preached on this very verse that we're studying today. And it's in the 17th chapter of John. And if you look at the 17th chapter of John, and I've heard it described this way, that this is truly the Lord's Prayer, the 17th chapter, before he faces the cross. And then in Matthew, with the Lord's Prayer, that we commonly call the Lord's Prayer, it's really the model prayer, but this is the Lord's Prayer. This is Tim praying. And as we read these verses, what I want to do is, is I want you to keep in mind that statement that I just brought up, that the Father elects us, the Son redeems us, and the Holy Spirit seals us. Look for that in John chapter 17, starting in verse 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Who's doing the electing right there? It's the Father, isn't it? As you have given Him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work in which you have given me. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself and with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Going on to verse 6. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. In fact, let me stop right there just for one moment and interject one truth. The word chosen in verse 4 that we are studying, the word chosen means to bring out of. We're called out of. 
What are we called out of? We're called out of the world. And then when you look at the high priestly prayer here of Jesus Christ, it says that he has been given his disciples out of the world from the Father. In fact, he goes on and says, they were yours. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have known all things which you have given me and are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me. And they have received them and have known surely that I have come forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world. Look at that closely. I do not pray for the world, but those whom you have given me. Elected by the Father. For they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. You see the Trinity at work there? Absolutely. God chose us. In spite of ourselves, He chose us. Not because of merit, not because of righteousness. In His mercy, He chose us before the foundation of the world. In fact, let me read the other comment that I wanted to share with you from Honer. He said, God did not choose anyone because they were holy and thus had a legal claim to be chosen. On the contrary, all people are sinners and deserve rejection. There was no obligation on God's part to choose anyone, but he freely chose some, and this is evidence of his great grace. The point is that if God had not taken the initiative, No one would have his everlasting presence in life. Honer goes on and then makes a very important point. The real problem is not why he had not chosen some, but why he chose any. No wonder God is to be praised. The doctrine of election is so important in our daily walk because it deepens our understanding of what God did for us. And we should serve Him, as it says in Ephesians, to the praise of His glory. We don't serve out of obligation. We serve out of love. We serve out of love. But it all starts with this idea that God chose us in his infinite mercy. Now, what I'm going to do next week is I answered who chooses. Next week is why. Why? Join me in prayer. Father, we can't explain it. And in surveying our life, we know that we can't really understand why. But thank you. 
Thank you that in spite of our lives, that in your grace and in your mercy, you chose us. And I pray, Lord, that we would take this truth and that we would grab a hold of it and that we'd be reminded of it every day so that we would serve in appreciation and love and obedience that we might reflect the wonderful gift that we have in salvation. I pray, Lord, that we would be ambassadors of Christ and that we would share this truth to a lost and dying world. I pray, Lord, if there is anyone listening who's never given their life to Jesus Christ, that today they would ask for forgiveness of sin, they would repent from that sin, and that they would be joined with Christ in the wonderful salvation in which we find ourselves in. Lord, we give you the praise and glory in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, milkcreekchurch.org.